Good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming back and joining me today on Next on the T. We are brought to you today by the great folks over at the French Lick Resort, the Bobby Jones Company, Frogger Golf, and our friends over at Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. And folks, if you haven't tried out the Orange Whip and you're looking for a great way to limber up before your rounds or to improve your club head speed or really just keep your swing intact this winter, then you need to go check out the orange whip folks there there isn't a better way really to loosen up and get prepared for your round than by swinging the orange whip my father 73 years old folks plays five days a week he's using the orange whip to use uh, to loosen up before his round it's helping me stay loose this winter also improving my club head speed take a look at what a great training aid it is and i wouldn't say that if i wasn't using it myself go online to see for yourself how great it is at orangewhiptrainer.com Please also check out our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company and their great winter apparel. Go to bobbyjones.com to check out their great styles and super soft shirts and sweaters. They're going to keep you both looking good and feeling good, whether you're in the office or out on the golf course. Plus, while you're there, you can watch playing lessons from Bobby Jones himself. And folks, many of those lessons still hold true to today. Go to bobbyjones.com to see for yourself how great their apparel truly is. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this morning I'm excited to share two really great guests with you. First up, I'll be joined by PGA Hall of Famer, Mr. David Graham. And it's, it's been a while since I've had the privilege of spending some time with David. Since we last spoke, he's been inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. So we'll talk about that. Plus, we'll look back, you know, 25 years to when, uh, you know, he was inducted into the Australian Sports Hall of Fame as well. So we'll talk about all of that, plus his wins at the 1979 PGA Championship and the 1981 U.S. Open, plus a whole lot more when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following David, I'll get a return visit from PGA Pro and broadcaster for SiriusXM's PGA channel, Paul Stankowski. Paul is broadcasting this week from the Sony Open, an event he won back in 1997. I'll get his thoughts you know, again, on the 2017 golf season, so we'll look ahead to that. Plus, Paul is also a big Alabama and Dallas Cowboys sports uh, fan as well, so we'll talk about that, plus a whole lot more when he joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. So it's going to be an informative, fun show this morning. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour or so. And like I mentioned a moment ago, we're sponsored by the French Lick Resort, which is an absolutely spectacular place. Their Pete Dye and Donald Ross design courses were ranked number one and number two in the state of Indiana by Golf Week. It was the site of last year's Senior PGA Championship. They recently hosted the LPGA Legends Championship as well. Go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay. You know, and every single week here, folks, on Next on the Tee, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women serving to every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We want to thank all of you for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through all of your strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Folks, if you happen to see a member of our military when you're out and about, whether you're in the grocery store, at a restaurant, in the, in the airport, wherever you might be, please stop for a moment and tell them thank you. They are our true heroes. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. 
And I want to continue to remind our veterans out there, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. You hear me talking about it every single week here on Next on the T. It's a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial to you. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. And I also want to send out a big thank you to our really good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the T and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast on their website and their mobile app. You can see us featured on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it on the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. It's got a lot of great features to let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get the app now on Google Play or on the Apple App Store so you can enjoy you know, your favorite podcasts across all genres. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. Again, you can find it online at podbean.com. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA Hall of Famer David Graham. Let me give you some background on David. He's from Windsor, Australia. He turned pro at a very young age, which we'll talk about you know, here in a moment. He won 38 times as a professional on six different continents. He's achieved you know, you know, that achievement, winning on six continents, right? Only a few other players have ever done that. Gary Player, Hale Irwin, Bernard Longer, and Laura Davies. He won two major championships, the 1979 PGA Championship and the 1981 U.S. Open. Team with Bruce Devlin to win the 1970 World Cup of Golf. He was a member of Australia's back-to-back championship teams in the Dunhill Cup in 1985 and 1986. 1988, he was a, a member of the Order of Australia, which is an order of chivalry given out in that wonderful country. In 1990, he was inducted into the Australian Sports Hall of Fame, and in 2015, he was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I'm truly honored to have him back with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, David. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, good morning, Chris. Nice to be back again. Thanks for having me. So, David, curious. You know, we haven't caught up in a while. Are you back in? Are you, are you up in your home in uh, in Montana now? No, no, no. I'm in my home in uh, Dallas right now. Thank you. I'm still here for the Christmas holidays and everything with the grandchildren. So, um, and besides that, it's about 15 degrees below zero in Montana. So that's kind of not golfing weather. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yeah. So, David, like I mentioned, it's been a little while since uh, since we last spoke, and you know, I wanted to you know kind of you know talk through some things that uh, have happened in your life since then. Right. <laughs> First of all, you you got inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame finally back in in July of 2015. Mm. Something that you know I've been wondering about for years why it hadn't happened up to that point. But mm. what was mm. it like for you when that call finally came uh, came through to you and you found out that you were going to be inducted? Well, obviously, I was very excited because I had always wanted to uh, be in the Hall of Fame. It's the pinnacle of uh, one's career, and uh, I was very fortunate. I had some wonderful support from uh, Gary Player and Arnold Palmer, to name a couple of people. And um, fortunately, I think, too, uh, Commissioner Fincham uh, realized that there was, not just for me, but maybe other players as well, a little bit of a shortcoming in the process so Tim Fincham restructured the entire um, qualification uh, requirements for the hall and uh, 
And then once he did that, then I became kind of automatically uh, able to get in the hall. So it was uh, it was a very good experience. It was in St Andrews. Uh, Fincham had decided to take um, the induction ceremonies around the world rather than just leave it in Florida. And uh, for the new inductees uh, this year, it'll be done during the President's Cup in uh, New York. So. Uh, it'll only be every two years now and not every one year. So, you know, it, it is the World Golf Hall of Fame. So it's nice to know that some of these induction ceremonies will be taken uh, around the globe. And, David, if we if we go back 25 years, right, you know, your country <coughs> recognized you as <coughs> one of the, <coughs> you know, its greatest athletes inducting you into the Australian Sports <coughs> Hall of Fame. What was it like getting up on that stage and being recognized by your country as one of its greatest sports athletes. Well, you know, any, any time, any time you get an award uh, of recognition for your accomplishments, it's always uh, a great honor. So uh, I was fortunate that I won those two majors right next together, and they put me pretty much straight into the Hall of Fame in Australia, which was a great honor. Uh, so I've been very blessed. Uh, but those kind of um, honors are, you know, just kind of the icing on the cake for what you accomplish which is a great, a great thrill to be able to get them. And David, speaking about, you know, what you've accomplished, kind of looking back over the course of your playing career, 1970, what a heck of a year that was for you internationally. Yeah. You, you won the Tasmanian Open, the Victorian Open, yeah. the Thailand Open, the French Open, the World yeah. Cup then with Bruce Devlin. Yeah. What a heck of a year for you. Well, that really was uh, the starting point of my career because I had played in those tournaments uh, in Asia and Australia. And it really, uh, at that particular level of golf in those days, it proved to me that, you know, I could play of a skill uh, to, to win. And um, through being able to do that, it enticed me uh, to come to the United States, try and get my tour card, and, and all of the top players that were playing then wanted to come to the United States. It was um, the only really established tour in the world. The rest of them were kind of just in their very infant stages. Um, so it, it proved that I could play a little bit. So we're, my wife and I decided to pack up and come to the United States. And, uh, you know, 46 or 47 years later, we're still here. And to that end, David, you know, we, we see a, you know, a different style of, you know, golf, you know, when you look at how it's played here in the States and then when we watch how it's played over, you know, when, when the open championship, you know, comes every year, we, we see a different, you know, the link style, obviously very different, very different terrain and that sort of thing. When you first came to the U S to play, whether it's weather or terrain, was it different than what you were used to playing over in Australia? <laughs> Well, it was, and I tell you, a lot of difference. Uh, number one, the, the golf ball that I learned to play with was a different size. The American size ball was 1.68 in diameter, and the English ball or the Australian ball was 1.62. So uh, you used to be able to play uh, international golf and use either size golf ball, where in the United States you had to only play the one size golf ball. So that in itself was a transition, but it didn't take me very long either to go play uh, my first Masters tournament, and I realized very quickly that I did not have the ball trajectory that was conducive to playing uh, the type of courses here. So I had to 
kind of rebuild my swing a little bit and learn to get a much higher trajectory so that the uh, the downward track of the golf ball would stop when it landed on the green. So I I went from standing a long way away from the ball hitting these big hooks to trying to hit a much higher and most of the time high draws uh, and a lot of times high fades so that you could attack the angles of the of the whole locations and stuff. So it's a very different game. Uh, but now the ball is so consistent that the young European players have never even, they don't even know that there's a, uh, used to be a small ball. So um, it's, it was different then, but it's not as much of a change for the players today. And as you talk about having to go through <clears throat> a swing change, that's no small <clears throat> task. To go, you know, try to change your ball flight, your swing, you know, your setup, and all that sort of thing. How 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 long did it take for you to make that adjustment, and how difficult was it? Well, it well, it wasn't that difficult because I was so pig-headed that I was determined that I was going to do it. And um, it took about a year, all told. I changed the lie of my clubs. I changed the uh, distance that I stood away from the ball. Uh, got my swing on a more upright plane so that the club face would stay on the target line for a longer period so that there wasn't as much release of the toe of the club over the ball. Um, So it took a little while, but uh, one of the great lessons I had was in Lost Tree Village in uh, Palm Beach with Jack Nicholas, where he and I were on the range hitting some balls and he was testing some new clubs. And I just made a comment one, one time standing, I, I said, my gosh, you hit the ball high. And he said, well, that's one of the problems with you. You hit the ball too low. So we got into a conversation and he took me out onto the golf course and he stuck me behind a tree. And he said, now, when you learn to hit this club over that tree, uh, you'll get a much better ball flight. So that's kind of how it all started. And Bruce Devlin told me for a year and a half that I – I had much too flat a swing, too strong a left hand, and I I flicked the toe over too much. So it took a little while, but um, it it, it all paid off, thank goodness. As you mentioned, Bruce Devlin, you know, back when you first came, you know, here, you know, the Ryder Cup didn't include the Europeans, and, you know, there was no President Cup back then. But you and Bruce Devlin, you teamed to win the World Cup, you know, a a couple of times. So, you know, talk about, was that the opportunity for you guys to show, you know what, guess what, Australians can play this game at a, at a high level too? Yeah. Well, I was fortunate in some ways to get into the first World Cup because uh, it was in Buenos Aires and most of the Australian players were still obviously living in Australia. The only players that were really U.S. side by then was Bruce Crampton and Bruce Devlin. And Bruce Devlin had said that he would play in the World Cup. And then there was a trickle-down effect, actually, that Bruce Crampton said, no, I'm not going that far. And Peter Thompson said, I've already done it 10 times. I'm not doing it. And Kel Nagel said, no, I'm not traveling that great a distance and everything. And kind of trickled down to where somebody said, well, how about this young kid, Graham? And uh, it was then asked of Bruce Devlin, would he be willing to play with her? young up-and-coming player and Bruce being the kind of gentleman that he is said oh absolutely I'll play with David so uh, I went down there and the first time that we had really spent 
a lot of time together and, and we finished up winning by 19 strokes which was quite a remarkable achievement especially when you think that you know I think Dave Stockton and Lee Trevino were the American team so there was some pretty formidable teams down there so that was really the start of a lengthy friendship and the start of uh, uh, you know my career that led to being invited to Augusta and and then moving on and getting a tour card and stuff like that. So it was uh, an amazing time in my life. And David, you know, we, we place so much emphasis on the majors and you having won two majors, but you, you won your, your, your country's national championship, the Australian Open in, in 1977, after having come very close in 1972. When you look at, you know, how we look at majors and, like I say, the, the value that we place on majors for somebody's career, but then your national championship, how does that compare to, to the two majors that you won, having won it for, you know, like I say, your, your, your country's national championship? Yeah, well, interestingly, in those days, uh, the Australian Open was nearly kind of considered the fifth major because it always attracted uh, a lot of top players, uh, especially Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and Gary Player. And, and then Bruce Devlin was very patriotic, so he would come home and stuff like that. The year that I won was uh, on a golf course called the Australian Golf Club that Jack Nicholas had just redesigned and he had really converted the golf course from a really linksy style golf course to a much more American style golf course. And of course the locals in those days thought it was too difficult because they hadn't seen anything like that. But uh, I think every player, it doesn't matter what country you're from, you want to win your national championship. And uh, I just happened to win mine on a golf course that was considered very difficult uh, against a very elite field in those particular years of, of, of playing that championship. But I'm, I'm also pleased that the tournament has kind of been resurrected a little bit. And uh, it kind of went in the dump a little bit because of sponsorship issues and television issues. But Jordan Spieth, to his credit, has really resurrected the success of the Australian Open in the last uh, three years. He went down there, he won it after he won majors. He went back the next year and finished second, and he went back again last year and won again. So he has really uh, sparked the uh, the uh, uh, the success of that, that particular tournament. So I'm really proud of him for uh, being young and being so successful but also being prepared to take golf uh, globally like uh, his predecessors did. And you know, being that you're, you're down there in Dallas now, have you had an opportunity to spend some time with Jordan? Uh, I've met him a couple of times. I've not any, spent any time with him. I, he uh, came out to my club and brought some guests, and I hosted him, with, uh, which was really enjoyable. But um, he's uh, working with AT&T on – a new golf course that they've built in the south part of Dallas, and they're now going to move the Byron Nelson Golf Classic to it. So with his playing schedule and his uh, sponsor commitments, he's a busy young fellow. No doubt. Yeah. So, David, let's spend, let's spend a little bit of time kind of talking about the majors that you won. In 79, you, you win the PGA <clears throat> Championship at Oakland Hills, just mm. outside of Detroit up there in a the playoff over Ben Crenshaw. It was a struggle mm. for you. Towards the end of that you know tournament, you know on 18, and then on into an amazing playoff. Take us through that tournament. Well, I've often always thought that 
my my career and my life completely changed that day because I have bear witness to people that have unfortunately collapsed in the last leg of major championships and never been able to really resurrect their golf game. And I was chuffing along pretty good at Oakland Hills. I was nine under par on that course that, that Hogan called the monster. And I made a, a careless double bogey on the last hole through poor choice and through a lot of nerves. And, you know, then I, I beat Ben Crenshaw. Well, Ben Crenshaw was just really the new up and coming young superstar. And, uh, I was fortunate to win because uh, I made a long putt on number one. I made a long putt on number two, and then I birdied the third hole to win. So I've often reflected on what would have happened in my career if I had double bogeyed the last hole and lost the tournament. Would I have ever really gone on to to uh, win, say, a U.S. Open? And I'm doubtful that I would have been able to do that, um, even as um, committed as I was to playing the game. but So I was fortunate that I won that, and I think because I won that tournament, that was able to take me to the next level and win a U.S. Open. So I was very fortunate to have that circumstances go my way. And, I, and Ben and I have talked about it. We've done a lot of interviews together and, and PR deals together. And, you know, nothing pleases me more than and seeing the way that he's handled the adversity of losing that and then coming back and winning two Masters championships and stuff. So uh, it, it was a great tribute to him to have that happen to him and then finish up with the career that he had because sometimes when you lose majors, you never, you know, you just remember the Frenchman at the British Open. I mean, that's a devastating thing for somebody to go through. Yes, and 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 to that end, David, talk about you know mm. you, you know your mental approach because to your point, it could have all mm. gone south right after the 18th, but somehow no, you were able to rally easily. yourself and get yourself yeah. back into it. Yeah, I've I've tried to get into the the uh, thought process of why and how and everything, and you know the only thing I can come up with was that it was meant to be that. Uh, there was a higher power taking care of me that day. That's the only answer I can, you know, realistically come up with. Uh, I can't say that I hit two good drives, and um, it, uh, it was just because uh, I was really in a, I was in a place I'd never been before, physically and mentally. So I was very fortunate to win, and I'm still fortunate to even think about that. <clears throat> in fact, uh, not too long ago, I went back to Oakland Hills. Uh, they made me an honorary member there, and I walked out onto that 18th green, and I went to every spot where I'd played that hole, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I was all over the place. But anyway, it all, as I said, it worked out. So, you know, David, it's it's interesting to me to look at, you know, that, that turn, the PGA Championship back then in 79 to what it is mm. today, right? Your winning check was $60,000. Mm. Last year, Jimmy Walker yeah. won $1.8 million. Could you have yeah, ever imagined... Yeah. The purses for golf to, tournaments would get to this level? Well, I don't think anybody ever imagined it, but it's it's incredible. It shows you how popular golf is. It shows you how um, sponsors want to be involved in golf because of the, the uh, lack of controversy with the people that play it and the ability of, of a commissioner to tell some of the players to, you know, disappear for three months and come back with a, uh, you know, a better sample and stuff. So 
the game's got some great young players in it. And golf, if you look at the history of the game, you look at, you know, I don't know where you start. Do you start with Bobby Jones or do you start with Byron Nelson or do you start with Sam Snead or Hogan or Nicholas or Palmer or Player or Trevino? Or It's always had really the best golfers have always been really, really ethical people. And, and you know, with with one little exception, you know, you look at Tiger Woods. I mean, he carried the banner for golf for, you know, nearly 20 years. And, I mean, that's an incredible amount of time to be at the top of your business. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, bang, here comes Dustin Johnson and Jason Day and, and Roy McIlroy and everything. So the game's just got younger, healthier, more skilled people in it. And um, its uh, sponsors want to be a part of that. Look, moving on and looking at your 1981 U.S. Open victory at Marion, you, trailing by three shots heading into the final round, and then you really put on a golf clinic. After missing the first fairway, you hit the next 17. Yeah. You hit all 18 greens yeah. in regulation, and you turned a three-shot deficit into a three-shot victory. I read that mm-hmm. Ben Hogan mm-hmm. actually called you after that round and said it was one of the <laughs> finest rounds of golf that he had yeah. he'd ever seen. What was it like when that came? Yeah. That call came through? Oh, it was exciting. Well, I'd, I'd known him, uh, Bruce Devlin and Mr. Hogan were very good friends. And in those days, uh, the Hogan company manufactured a golf shaft called the Apex. And it was the first line of lightweight steel shafts to ever be produced. And um, I played that shaft. So I used to go up there quite frequently and raid the shaft in and get some shafts. But Mr. Hogan was always very nice to me. He was... Um, I never knew him when he was uh, at the top of his career and stuff. So I never got to see him play at all, uh, especially, you know, in in his career. But he was, for some reason, he took a liking to me. And I went up there several times and had lunch with him. And he always uh, took a great deal of delight in professional golfers coming into his office and shaking his hand and, and, um, and talking about equipment and clubs and, new golf balls and, and where the game had gone from where he was to where it was in those days and everything. So, yeah, he was uh, he was terrific to me. And when he called me and told me that and invited me up to lunch, I said, uh, how about tomorrow? And he said, tomorrow works. Meet me at Shady Oaks and I'll buy you lunch. So I went up there. Yeah, that's a true story. Wow. Hmm. So – one of the just a couple more before we let you go, mm. David. You know, you had a, mm. a bout with congestive heart failure back in 2004, which you successfully, yeah. obviously, battled through. My next guest, Paul Stankowski, mm. has had some issues related to his heart. You know, at an early age that he battled through last mm. year. Another good friend, Sean McKeel, has had some has had some heart issues as well. How are mm. you doing now? And is there any advice that you can share with our listeners who may be you know going through something similar? Well, congestive heart failure is not a pleasant thing to have, obviously, anything relative to your heart. The problem is that there's no uh, real um, indicators that you're going to get it. I thought I was pretty healthy. I had started working out in the wintertime. I was uh, maybe in the best physical shape that I'd ever been in, and I'd never had any issues at all. And then one day in Massachusetts, and I just collapsed and they took me to the hospital and they diagnosed me with, uh, you know, two or three issues. Um, and, um, next minute I 
took a, I took retirement because I couldn't play golf anymore. I didn't play for about five years, but uh, they have just such great knowledge today uh, and so many great doctors and such good medication and everything. And, and I've now got an implant in my chest, which is a new state-of-the-art gadget that helps my heart uh, stay at one one level and everything. So if I listen to my body and I don't exert myself too much, uh, then I do pretty well. And I've, I've watched, you know, my health as well as I can. Uh, but in any heart issues, not any fun to go through. But mine is not surgically repairable, so I just have to take one day at a time. And it's not the, uh, you know, I don't need stents, and my arteries are all open. I just, I just have a, a bad, a bad ticker, and it's, um, it's just up to me to try and take care of it as much as I can. So, get us up to date. What are you doing now? Well, uh, not much, actually. Uh, I spend most of my time at my club here in Dallas BSing with Lee Trevino, which is uh, <laughs> a, nearly, a nearly everyday occurrence, which which makes my wife happy because it gets me out of the house. Um, he and I, uh, we still play uh, the greats of golf. We play in Minneapolis for 3M. And we go down to Houston and play in the Insperity tournament and those those two things. We do uh, some outings, a little bit of corporate deal. I've done some work with uh, President uh, W. Bush with Wounded Warriors, which is a very gratifying thing for me to do. Yes. And when he when he's in town, he and I play a lot of golf, which is a, a real treat to be able to play with a former president. So, uh, you know, I, I stay busy to a point, but I could... You know, would I like to be busier? Most likely, but um, you know, not too many people want a seventy-year-old, broken-down old golf pro. So that's uh, that's okay. It's well, <laughs> you know. Well, you're always welcome on this show. I can you know, anytime yeah. you get to speak to a guy like David Grant. Well, I'm sorry, a, my a, my voice is a little hoarse. I'm just getting over a pretty bad cold, so I'm a little a little raspy this morning. Oh no, no, no worries at all. Fantastic. David, is there is there a way for our listeners at all to stay up to date with anything that you're doing, or you know, whether it's online or on social media? Uh, no, well, I'm on Facebook. You can you can follow me on Facebook. I have a website, uh, just davidgrahamgolfer.com. Um, I don't post a lot of stuff. I'm not really into social media, and uh, um, I I do look at Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn a little bit. I get on there and and um, talk with some people, but uh, I'm not addicted to that sort of thing. So I kind of like to stay under the radar, to be honest with you. Well, David, it's it's uh, always a huge thrill for me to get to spend some time with you. I thank you for coming back and uh, giving me your time this morning to, to come oh, back on pleasure. the show. I hope you'll do it again sometime soon. Love to get uh, more of your stories any... and your insights. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, you, you have a good day, and tell Paul Stankowski I said hi, okay? I absolutely will do that. Thank you very much. All the best to you and your family, David. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. That is PGA Hall of Famer David Grimm. What a lot of fun. Boy, anytime you get an opportunity to spend some time with a legend like David, it's it's certainly a huge thrill. Hopefully we get to have him back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Paul Stankowski, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company, folks, you know, uh, 
cold, damp, windy days, right? Game changers out there when you're trying to get out there on the golf course. But you can beat the odds with Bobby Jones layers from their quarter zip pullover and super soft sweaters, you know, to all of their wonderful apparel. Check them out online at bobbyjones.com. And while you're on that site, click on the equipment link to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Mr. Jesse Ortiz. And, you know, Jesse, like his father, Lou, and even Bobby Jones himself, right? Jesse has a passion for the game of golf and club club design as well. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days over at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and his innovative design story, creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check it out online by going to the Equipment tab on bobbyjones.com or straight to it by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. And if you're looking for some great golf accessories, folks, check out our friends over at Frogger Golf. What a wonderful array of products that they have, like their Amphibian Towel, right? Won the best new product at the PGA Merchandise Show back in 2009, or their new Catch Latch technology that easily and securely lets you attach and release your Amphibian Towel, your Brush Pro Cleaner, or any other of your golf accessories. They have so many really great things. You can find them online at FroggerGolf.com. A lot of great golf accessories for under $20, and their golf bags, folks, are tremendous. I'm using one now. They're on sale right now. Typically, they're $169.99. Well, they're taking $100 off of that, and you can get one for $69.99 now. So a lot of great storage compartments, and, you know, the the catchless technology is built right into their golf bag, so it's really great stuff. Check them out online at froggergolf.com. We'll get to Paul Stankowski right on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now back with me in making his eighth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of my favorite all-time guests, PGA Pro and broadcaster Paul Stankowski. Let me give you a little background on Paul. He's from Oxnard, California, started playing golf at the age of eight, attended the University of Texas at El Paso, where he was a three-time All-American and won the Western Athletic Conference Championship back in 1990, turned pro the following year in 91, got his first pro victory at the 1996 Nike Louisiana Open. He backed that up by winning the very next week on the PGA Tour at the Bell South Classic here in Atlanta, becoming the only golfer in history to win uh, on what's now the Web.com Tour and then the PGA Tour in back-to-back weeks. In all, Paul has seven professional victories, 31 top 10 finishes, including winning the Hawaiian Open in 1997, right, the, the site of this week's golf tournament. And I'm very thankful and excited to have Paul back with me and next on the tee this morning. Happy New Year, Paul. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Happy New Year to you too, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. So, Paul, before we start, you know, into all the golf stuff, you know, as you, you might have heard, I was talking to David Graham a moment ago, and he had some coronary issues back in in 2004. We know you, you had some very scary health issues last year. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, and I did listen to uh, the tail end of your interview with David, and and uh, what a sweet man he is, and was always really good to me during my career. So, um, I do. I'm a big fan of of David Graham, and uh, but I, I'm I'm feeling good. I was. I was 210 pounds on May 4th when I um, had my episode, and and um, a couple of weeks ago I dropped below 190, and my goal was 189.999, and I I got there. <laughs> so I'm I'm now back at like 191. So I, I've got a I, I, you know I'd, I want to be under 190. Uh, I feel really good. Um, just eliminated some of the the things that uh, you know like sugars and um, white breads and that type of stuff from my diet. Um, and uh, I feel I feel really good, and, and uh, you know, my levels are good, my heart's good. So I'm I'm grateful for the type of heart attack I had, which 
according to my doctor, was uh, the good kind. So whatever that means. But uh, but no, I'm I'm grateful. Has has that event changed anything for you, Paul, or your perspective at all? I, I know you have a very strong Christian faith. Did any of that change? You know, outside of your diet, of course. But did anything like that change? You know, your life at all? You know, no. I mean, it was an eye opener just personally because I, you know, we all know that we're. We're, we're going to die at some point, right? I mean, that's that, that's what happens. <laughs> You're born, you live, and you die. Um, and so um, you, we just don't know when. And, and, you know, we think we're invincible. And, and uh, you know, when when all of a sudden you're in the hospital and they're going to go through your vein and, and put a, uh, a stent in to open up an artery that was 99% blocked, and that's, that's a bit scary, just the thought that, okay, well, you know, if this – if this heart thing, you know, went a little bit worse, you know, I may not be here. So um, it, it's an eye opener. Like, okay, well, what led me to this road? You know, and and uh, you know, was it was it my diet? Was it my lack of exercise? Was it uh, you know job stress? Was it you know? I mean, you think about all those things. Like, okay, w- what of those are really important <laughs> in the grand scheme of things? And you know, do I need to eat ice cream at, uh, and peanut butter at nine o'clock at night? Um, is that a good good thing for me? You know, do I need to have uh, you know, those, that second helping of really good, delicious French fries, um, you know, um, <laughs> and so those are the things that, uh, or the chair, the carrot cake. And, and it's funny when I, I went back and we were reconciling our, uh, bank account and, and checkbook and all that kind of stuff from last year, last week. And, and we went back and I looked at May, uh, when I was on the road doing the tournament for new Orleans. Um, and I looked at what I, where I had eaten, uh, that week and it cracked me up. I mean, it was Italian. Um, it, it was uh, pizza, three nights, um, Fuddruckers on my on my airport on the way out. I mean, it was terrible. No wonder I had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, I also know you're you're a big Alabama football fan. So last Monday night couldn't have been very good for your heart. What are you, your thoughts on the game? You know, yeah, it's disappointing. But I'm the older I get, the, the you know, the more kind of um, objective I get. And, and I watch the game, and obviously I'm a huge fan, and I'm a huge sports panicker. Like I, I will, I always fear that my team's going to lose. Um, but it's just the way I am, the way I'm wired. My son's different. He's like, no, I got confidence, Dad. I'm like, I'm glad one of us does, buddy. But um, <laughs> so I, I was on the road um, down in Houston for the day that night. So I'm watching the game and I watched the first half, first half with some buddies in the, in the lobby of the hotel. And, and then the second half I went up to the room and, you know, uh, I fell asleep early in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then I woke up again with like three minutes to go, um, uh, four minutes ago, maybe and Alabama was, was down and I'm like, Oh crud. All right. So I watched them, you know, go down and score way too quick in my opinion. Um, but, uh, and then with two minutes ago, here comes the drive, you know, and inside of a minute, it was pretty apparent that it was going to come down to the last play, probably, you know, win or lose, you know, whether it was, uh, whether we're going to tie it up or score a touchdown or Alabama was going to come up big on defense. Um, and I couldn't help but smile. You know, I, I just, I'm sitting in my room watching the last minute of the game, obviously really wanting Alabama to win. It's not going to change my life if they do, but it's, I'm a fan. Right. And, um, it actually probably cost me money because I'd have to buy the, you know, the t-shirt and the hat, but um, you know, so here I am watching it and I, 
all I'm doing is smiling because I, I, I'm a sports fan. I love big moments. And that was the biggest moment on the biggest stage for these college kids. And, um, and it was, and it was great. And, and, you know, it was a pick. Uh, there were a couple of them, you know, <laughs> um, but it was a great play. And, and you know what, the, the, the team, nobody lost that game. Uh, you know, time just ran out for one team and, and uh, there wasn't enough time for one team and there was just enough time for the other. And that's, that's the way it works. You know, what a spectacular national championship game. Uh, it was fun to watch. Uh, and there again, um, you know, I, I was bummed for a second. Um, my son probably was had a hard time going to sleep that night because uh, he, he lives and breathes Alabama football um, and Dallas Cowboys football. So we got a, we got a big one coming up uh, tomorrow, but um, it, it was great. Uh, great game. Terribly sad ending for, for me and for all Alabama fans, but uh, uh, good for Dabo Sweeney. Um, there's always a team that's, that's excited, you know, and, and both teams worked their butts off all year. Uh, they're both well coached and, um, you know, I, I, what a sweet moment for Dabo as a, as you know, a former Alabama player, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe future coach. <clears throat> right. And, you know, now you're, you're, you know, you're there doing the, the, the Sony open Paul, you know, does, does watching Justin Thomas's success, a guy who, you know, played his college golf at the university of Alabama, he's got two wins already this season on Thursday, he becomes right. The youngest player by far to shoot 59 and, you know, at an event that you won, in 1997, which we'll talk about you know, more in a moment. But you're broadcasting that event this week for SiriusXM's PGA channel. Justin Thomas, former Alabama player, now has a 36-hole record by backing up his 59 with a 64 yesterday. Does does that help soften the blow seeing uh, you know an Alabama golfer playing so well, or would it have to be a UTEP guy to make it better for you? No, you know, it's great. Justin's a great player, and, and uh, he played on a great national championship team in Alabama under Coach J.C. Well, and a uh, dear friend of mine and, and uh, also a great coach. Their golf program um, had some, some great success uh, over the last 10 years or so. And, um, but this kid is good. Um, he's little, uh, but he moves it. And it, just watching him, um, his tee shot yesterday on number three, 13 um, was, I mean, it was crazy to watch. Here's this kid, 150 pounds, maybe um, taking it up and over these trees, sending it at probably a 15 degree launch angle left nothing in the bag whatsoever. Um, and, you know, hits it 69 yards from the pin uh, where his playing competitors are 160 yards from the pin. Um, and, and what he can do with the golf ball, there's a few guys out there that can do that. Um, but no, I mean, they're, they're the size of Bubba Watson, you know, they're bigger guys. He's a little guy, five, whatever, and a hundred and whatever. So, um, that being that aside, uh, yes, he's long, but he's also just a great player. He's got all the tools. Um, when he made his putt for 59 on Thursday, uh, I'm sure you watched it. The Jordan Spieth reacted, uh, 10 times more excited than, than, uh, than Justin did. And, and, uh, yeah. he looked like. One, he was a little bit phased, maybe a little bit embarrassed, but kind of like ho-hum, like he's done that before, which is pretty funny because um, obviously not many people have. Um, but it is fun to watch uh, guys like him. Uh, the tour's chock full of young players. Um, and then there's a few older guys in the mix too, which is kind of fun. See VJ Singh actually, you know, still still getting after it. Fred Funk made the cut, you know, and he's a he's, – Freddie's got to be close to 60. Um, 
So golf's a great sport. I think it's in a great place right now. There's a lot of young, talented players. Um, we got Tiger Woods, you know, making a comeback. And golly, I hope that he uh, he can play. You know, he can return to some of the greatness that he used to have. I'd love to see him battling some of these young guys toe to toe down the stretch of a major championship here soon, uh, hopefully in April. And um, it's an interesting time. Um, golf has changed considerably. Uh, from when I came out in 1994 and, you know, my win there, <clears throat> win there in 96 was, um, or 97 was, uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think I shot 17 under par, I think. And, uh, he's, he's done that in two days. And, you know, to that end, right. Again, you, you win, you win that Hawaiian open back in, in 97 and now you get to broadcast that event every week and just to give people some background when you won it right you wanted to play off over jim furick and mike reed you had to make a 30-foot putt on the third playoff hole just to extend the playoff because if that doesn't go in jim furick ends up winning the golf tournament then on the fourth par, uh, playoff hole which was the par 5 18th and you were just off the green and two you two putt to birdie to win it but it's got it's got to bring back some good memory every year it comes down you know to this tournament this you know obviously has been going on for many many years but it comes around every year it's got to make you feel good to be able to look back on on uh, on those memories and then to get to broadcast that event on top of it yeah it is it, definitely great memories and um you know, I'm thankful that they're still in my brain, you know, that I do still remember. Uh, I remember the, the playoff well. I remember watching Jim Furyk four-putt the uh, 15th hole uh, playing right in front of me um, to open the door uh, for us. And, and uh, um, it, it was it was uh, a lot of fun. And it, it's it's great to get to call the, the event as well. And, and I'm reliving some of the shots that I hit down the stretch in my head um, while watching these guys. And it's a uh, it's a different golf course than when we played. It was a par 72 back then, um, 70 now, and and um, but it's in great shape. And the, the weather they've had the, the first two days has been spectacular. So, I, you know, I, I am grateful for the career I had, which you know, my great golf really spanned two years out of the 20 that I played. But um, but I stuck around a long time and 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 uh, had some fun. Had you know a few chances uh, every year to to do something really cool. But um, it was great. It's great to, to look back and see that I played against some of the greats of the game and, and got to play alongside Tiger Woods and, and uh, Phil Mickelson and uh, Jim Furyk, the new captain, Ryder Cup captain, and and you know got paired with Nicholas and played a skins game with Nicholas Watson and and Gary Player and and um, you know Fred Couple. I, I it's like all the things I dreamt of doing when I was a kid. I got to do with the exception of winning a major championship, but. Uh, um, I'm, I'm very thankful and, and, um, you know, now to be on this side of the, the ropes and, and on the other side of a microphone, um, it's different. I never, I don't think I ever envisioned being in this position uh, as a business owner and, and doing radio <laughs> for, for tournaments, but, um, but it's cool, man. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, every day I wake up, I get an opportunity to do something cool and, and, uh, um, I'm grateful. Paul, a couple more before we let you go and you know, talk about Tiger Woods a moment ago. And we've seen Tiger, right, obviously battling a, a lot of injuries, including a back injury now, you know, for years. Jason Day feels like he's one bad swing from going down with a back problem. Today I read, you know, Rory McIlroy hurt his back over in the South African Open. All three of those guys lash at the ball so hard, so fast to drive it, you know, 350 or whatever, you know, we've seen them drive it even further than that. Do you think, you know, do they need to kind of dial this, their swing back if they want to have longevity in the game or to continue to talk about Tiger coming back and playing, you know, really well and the hope for that. 
But these two guys are, you know, Rory and Jason, young guys, and are already having back problems. You know, it's a good question. Mickelson has swung really hard for a long time, right? Really long swing. Um, John Daly as well. You know, Phil's got a, a, form of arthro- a form of arthritis, but that's not anything that he did to himself. So, you know, he, he never seems to be hurt uh, physically. Daly, I don't think he's missed a round of golf uh, uh, due to injury <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, and so there, there, you know, Jim Furyk had wrist injuries. He had, he had wrist surgery, and, uh, but he's still going at it. And, and so there's a lot of guys that went at it real strong. What you don't see are a lot of really beefed up golfers uh, that aren't hurt, and that's interesting. You know, um, uh, there's no secret that that Tiger is pretty huge, and Rory is ripped, and J- and Jason his body's changed, and um, I, I don't know. Um, I do know that golf is terrible for the body, and the harder you torque at something, uh, the little the spine is little, right? It's not. Um, there's a lot that can go wrong there, knees and wrists, and um, but it's a risk I'm sure they're, they're willing to take, you know, the hitting, being able to generate that club head speed not only helps in, in driving the golf ball a long way um, or hitting a, a nine iron, 170 yards, you know, but it's the ability to, get, to muscle it out of rough as well. Um, they're able to get at pins that, that um, guys like me or, you know, the shorter hitters um, aren't. And, Consequently, that makes golf a little easier for those guys, uh, let alone the, the talent they have um, is uh, a lot a lot greater than others. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, I- injuries happen to everybody uh, at some point. At some point, the body will say enough, right? Um, that's it. Whether you're uh, 40 um, or 60 or 70, you know, you got guys on the Champions Tour that are still playing in their 60s. And I think Hale Irwin's still playing, for crying out loud, and, and, um, and playing well. So it, it, it's nobody knows when the uh, the tissues are going to have some issues, if you will, and and um, you hope it doesn't happen uh, for a long, long, long time. And I didn't foresee me having five surgeries uh, in a in a six year stretch either, or a five year stretch. And um, but it happened, and and uh, you know, golf's hard of the body. We're not getting pounded like football players are, and we don't have to deal with concussions unless you're Woody Austin and you hit yourself in the head. But um, the uh, those are some issues there that we we've got to uh, you know we just got to take care of ourselves and and I, I think they're doing the right thing by working out and getting stronger to maybe I mean they're doing the right thing from stability standpoint to making sure all the little muscles in their body uh, the stabilizers are are working properly and the muscles are strong and and hopefully able to support uh, you know the joints and tendons and ligaments and all those other things that I know very little about. You talked about being a, a business owner briefly a moment ago, and your company, Francis Edwards, sells some amazing exotic leather goods, including including uh, some really cool golf, or not golf, but just belts in general, which uh, are, are a, uh, a very cool thing that we see a lot of players wearing now out on tour and, and, and around and about. Talk about what your company does. Yeah, we, well, exactly that. We, we do custom exotic belts. Um, uh, and, and Italian calfskin and some bison, uh, but we do shark and ostrich and ostrich leg and anaconda and python and crocodile and alligator, different stitch options. And you, the, the thing that's cool about um, our company is that you can custom create something. So whatever your price point is, whether it's an Italian calfskin price point all the way up to an alligator price point, um, you're, you know, we have multiple color of skins, you know, in some different skin types up to 15, 17 different colors. And, 
you know, from purples to greens to reds to yellows to white, black, cognac, whatever you want for the most part is there. And we do, you know, up to 20 different stitch options. And so if you went to Alabama and you want some sort of a, a darkish red, uh, crimson colored uh, with gray stitch and white edge or something, you, we can do it. Or, or LSU, will purple and gold. Um, or even for, we, we just did a belt the other day for a Clemson fan. It was an orange crocodile with white hand stitching and a purple edge just for that little accent. And I mean, it's something that, you know, I wouldn't wear on a, on a daily basis, but you know what, on game day, uh, get creative, get funky. And, and that's what we encourage our, our uh, customer to do. And, and they love the process. So one more before we let you go, you talked about earlier being a Dallas Cowboy fan. So, you, you know, you got to, you got a big game coming up tomorrow against uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. How do you feel? Uh, well, I'm panicking, um, as always. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I was really hoping that they would play the Giants, you know, and, and solely because you know, there's no way they're losing three games to the Giants in one season. At least that, that was my thought. Um, the other two games could have gone either way. Um, you know, they lose by a comp- uh, combined four points in, in two games. But um, you know what? I, there's always a changing of the guard, right? And Aaron Rodgers is a great football player and has been a great quarterback. And, um, you know, the, the word is, you know, that no rookie, you know, rookie can't do it. Right. And at Dak Prescott, I don't think he's a uh, magnificent quarterback. I think he's a really good quarterback. He's done a great job this year, leading the Cowboys to, to the, to their record. Um, and, um, but I, I don't see him doing anything wrong. Uh, I see Zeke, um, going off. And I think the Cowboys win. Um, you know, obviously I'm a fan. I think it's going to be a close game though. Um, it's going to be exciting, but we're going to see something really cool happen at the end. And, and um, Dallas Cowboys are, they're going to go all the way, my friend. They're going all the way. <laughs> so the magical is going to happen at the end. Hopefully this time you're on the winning end of that and not on the heartbreak end of it. So good luck. Good luck tomorrow, Paul. Thank you so Thanks. much for, for coming no, back Chris, on the show. Remind our on. listeners how they can follow you. Well, on Twitter, I'm, I'm at, at Paul Stankowski. Um, the older I get, the, the less I'm tweeting, um, but, uh, but that's there. And then on Facebook, um, our business is uh, on Twitter at Francis Edward underscore. Uh, and on Facebook, it's Francis Edward USA. Um, and uh, my cell phone is 867-53. No, that's not. That's Jenny. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, anyway, I, I, thanks for having me on. I love being on your show. You're, you're uh you're one of the most prepared interviewers uh, on earth. So I thank you and applaud you for the job you do. I appreciate that very much, Paul. Thanks for taking time out of your morning. Enjoy the Sony open. I look forward to, you know, hopefully getting the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Good luck tomorrow with you, with your Cowboys. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Thanks my friend. You too. All right. Take care, Paul. It is a PGA pro and now a broadcaster for uh, the PGA channel on Sirius XM, Paul Stankowski. Be sure to check him out as, uh, as he does the Sony open this weekend. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the T. But before we do, we want to continue to remind you about our friend, Jim Estes and the great folks over at the salute military golf association. They are doing so much to help our wounded veterans. Please take a listen to all the great things that, uh, that they are doing. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, 
We've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, absolutely, folks. They are doing such great things over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Kudos to Jim and his fine staff. To find out more information and how you can get involved, check them out online at smga.org. All right, everyone, my sincere thanks to David Graham and Paul Stankowski for uh, you know making today's show so much fun for me to be a part of. I had such a good time. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari, our announcer Joe Lajanusa as well, and that show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio, but you can find it as a podcast over on Podbean. Again, you heard me talk about Podbean earlier. Great folks. What a great site. What a great app. We can't thank them enough for all of their support over on Podbean. You can also find the show as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player.fm, SoundCloud. We're all over the net. Big thanks as well, you know, as you heard me say, or you hear me say every single week here to our friends on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You can find our show by streaming it over there on armedforcesradionetwork.org. Thursday night tailgate, just to remind you, you know, every week we're joined by five NFL legends and uh, great folks always on the show. Such great guys sharing their stories and their insights from their playing days and, you know, about today's games as well. Plus, we also highlight two players every week doing great things and their communities in our spotlight on the positive segment on that show as well. Please check out this show and Thursday Night Tailgate on Facebook. We have two, uh, you know, we have two pages there for you. I mean, please give us a like. That's very important to us as well. You can find this show online. Our website is nextonthetee.net, and we have thursdaynighttailgate.com, and you can stream or download any of our archive episodes from either of those sites as well. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to Next on the Tee today. We know you've got a lot of choices for shows and podcasts that you can stream or download. We are so thankful that you're making Next on the Tee and hopefully Thursday Night Tailgate two of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love. From the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.